Ian and I are so excited to share Season 3, Ian Fleming's Moonraker, with you. We're also very excited to invite you to read along with us and support the pod by purchasing the book from our affiliate link, which you can find right in our show notes. You can also find that link and grab some E&E merchandise at our website, eggsandespionage.com. Thank you all for your listening support and enjoy the season. Hi, I'm Ian. And I'm Chris. And this is Eggs and Espionage. The origins of James Bond. America. It's chapter 17, America. (laughs) No. Bond decided he was bored with protecting Mother England. America was the real fun. And he rode the Moonraker rocket till he landed in Idlewild. <laughs> and you remember that one scene from the end of <laughs> Dr. Strangelove? They got it from this book. <laughs> Chapter 17. Wild Surmises. Bond and Gala dragged themselves from the pile of rubble, their clothes tattered to nothing, and light a blessed cigarette. Their lives had been saved by chance. The nearness to the cliff sheltering most of the blast and Bond's quick reflexes, leaving them with a window to climb out. As the dust settles, Bond realizes that someone had tried to kill them. And what's more, it couldn't have been Krebs alone. The whole team at the site must be complicit. But why? Does it go all the way to the top? Yet there's no evidence to prove who was involved And even if there was, no one would stop the rocket launch anyway. The only way to play this was to suss out the plot. Bond and Gala make their way into a nearby town, clean up at a hotel, have dinner and a few drinks. Then they make their way back to the site and let themselves into the dining room where they find Drax, Krebs, and Dr. Walter dining happily away. Drax does a spit take when they walk into the room, then makes a big show of being worried about them. But from the way the blood drained from their faces, Bond knows they had thought they were dead. So as they're like crawling out of this chalky, dusty mess, they're both vomiting. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Bond, I like how it says, Gala too was mercifully sick and Bond crawled a few paces away to leave her alone. (laughs) It's like, ugh. All right, if you're going to vomit, I'm going to be over here, all right, baby? (laughs) Let me know when you're done. I'm going to vomit, too. Uh, The nearness of the bodies to the cliff is what saved them. Yeah, I don't think... That didn't necessarily make sense to me. They weren't smushed because they were lying on top of each other. That's dumb. They were not saved because they were smushed. They were saved, they say it. They were so high up on the cliff that Bond notes that they were just, like, miraculously... Had they been, you know... Four feet lower, they would have gotten hurled with some massive... Oh, that's things. true. But Bond also says, like, if he hadn't rolled on top of Gala, like, they both would have died. And I didn't understand that. The fact that they were so close to the cliff's face and most of the debris, like, went out towards the water, is yeah, that's that's what saved them. That That is mostly what saved But I guess, like, if all that dust is going to fall on you, if one if it falls on your back is better than falling on your front, maybe... So maybe the fact that he rolls on top of her, I don't know. But he says, 
Um, Bond realized that if some reflex had not hurled him on top of Gala at the moment of the avalanche, they would now both be dead. That I couldn't figure out. Yeah, and it is a little contradictory too, but... But mo- more importantly, so they, they ripped and clawed and pulled their way out of a pile of debris, and they came out with their lives and their fighting spirit intact. What they did not come out with was their underwear intact. They are now both yeah, fully right. naked. That's true. No scars, no scratches, but their underwear somehow got lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow it's not sexy. Bond's like, I'm not sexed by this. I Yeah, he is not. He's, he's kind of bummed out. He's a little bummed. But like survivors from a shipwreck, their nakedness meant nothing. N- nothing, yeah. He's supposed to like earn her nakedness by like, and you know, you always have a tricking her and like assaulting her and like doing his moves Trick. and shit. Like he has a plan. It's like a, con- <laughs> you know, he's he has his strategies, his battle. And now some douche tried to murder him and forced this girl to get naked without him winning. Yeah, no mention of the mole. Finally gets her naked. Can't even see that sexy mole on her. Yeah, he's not even breast. looking for it. Yeah. That 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 mole that was so um, it just gave him such a sense of like accomplishment and like pride and ego when she snubbed him the night before. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you got a mole. Yeah, exactly. Because I read your confidential police jacket, which talks about your naked body, and then sticks his tongue out at her. <laughs> anyway, they washed themselves off. Get all that chalky stuff off. They borrow Gala's comb because, of course, got to get their hair combed. Gala puts on oh, some yeah. lipstick and powders her face because that's the most important thing to think about. They basically get dressed without underwear, and Bond, of course, lights his first, quote, delicious cigarette, drinking the smoke deeply into his lungs. And yeah, I mean... offers her one, I believe, right? Yeah, he does, and that must be the best cigarette ever. The, the holy shit, we're not dead cigarette? Oh, yeah. Smoke if you got them cigarettes, yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good that's a good time to have a cigarette. I encourage anyone of age to smoke a cigarette if you just had a near death experience. No, to be honest with you, if you're not a smoker and you shouldn't be, smoking your first cigarette after nearly dying is going to be disgusting, repulsive experience, <laughs> and you're going to be like, why? You've already I do that? vomited. I because actually of all the wish chug. I died. <laughs> but that second cigarette, oh man, that's a good one. This episode brought to you by Philip Morris. <laughs> <laughs> Philip Morris, when death doesn't happen. Uh, That's why people used to smoke. There, there was always cliffs falling on them and stuff. Like basically, everyone was about to die anyway. Like yeah, now the during the so Cold safe, War, right? We can realize that you know smoking actually isn't worth it. Philip Morris, you might die any day. Why not today? <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it's more like, if you didn't die today, who cares about tomorrow? <laughs> smoke right. up. You're still alive. You still can smoke. <laughs> now that... Every day alive is another day to smoke. Man, we're just... That's good marketing. Yeah, we're just killing it with these taglines. <laughs> You're welcome, Philip Morris. This episode You're going to start investing like all of their um, lobbying funds and putting America back to war. They're going to start needling the Russians and the North Koreans so that people will start smoking again once uh, death is in any day. Of course they want the Cold War back. It helps helps commerce. Um, Anyway, Bond goes through and boringly explains that it definitely didn't just happen. Somebody put some dynamite in these cliffs and and tried to kill us. 
So we, the reader, always know that. Right. You know, Bond never just almost dies for no reason. There's always someone trying to kill him. That would be, wouldn't that be the ultimate irony if Bond dies because he like trips into a manhole cover? Mm-hmm. He eats uh, romaine poison. lettuce that yeah. had like E. coli on yeah. it, and he just can't handle it. That would be, yeah, or like he some dies some caviar that that wasn't stored correctly. And Chris, you didn't have to bring caviar into it. I'm sorry, that was just rude. Philip Morris. <laughs> I gotta work on that tag. Yeah, you want to play up that death is fun and cool. Or that death isn't cool, but getting as close to it as possible is. That's true. Evil Knievel. You never know. <laughs> Philip Morris, because Evil Knievel smokes. <laughs> <laughs> ah, this is pointless. Uh, it couldn't have only been Krebs, blah, blah, blah. Bond's basically like, look, this isn't just so, that weird beady-eyed motherfucker. There yeah, they pinned it all on Krebs right going now. On going through people's, like, underwear and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But now it took multiple people to pull this off. So there's clearly a group of people now we know who want Bond dead and Gala with him. And I, I always admire when Bond gives credit to his enemy... Right, he's always very good at like giving props to like, man, that guy, that was that was a smart way to do it. Like, and he kind of does that here. He's like, you know, they told me to go down here, they figured out how to put the dynamite, they set it, they waited, you know, like he says the whole scheme was admirable. And even if they call the police and tell them what happened, they're gonna be like, are you shitting me? There's no way, Drax did that. Yeah, except if you go there and look at the freaking blast marks. But they're not marks. gonna do that. He's like, the prime minister is never gonna interfere with the Moonraker, so. I mean, there's it, but work. what really bugs me about this is that he and Gala both convince themselves, oh, we shouldn't tell our bosses because they'll laugh at us. Why? In what world would M not that, back Bond yeah. saying someone's trying to murder me? That is the well, Gala's the one that says there's no point on telling the police because they're not going to believe us. And the prime minister, I think that's what it comes down to is even if Bond tells M, the prime M's got to go tell the prime minister, and that that dude, it wasn't Churchill anymore, right? No, Churchill so. lost very quickly after the war, yeah. which always bothered me. Politics are awful. Right. He's but like anyway. their most famous prime minister, and they... Well, he was him. kind of a conservative... Anyway, it we digress. The war. I, but because of the war... I mean, it, had he still been prime minister, there wouldn't have been a national health. There wouldn't mm-hmm. have been a lot of the you know socialist programs that Britain is so well known for nowadays. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we digress. And so well hates, I mean... Boris Johnson. Half of them the hate backlash it anyway. to social programs. Half of what, them hate What's it. this podcast about? Brexit. Breakfast? Eggs and, brex- and Brexit. <laughs> Eggs and Brexit. Uh, man, we are not... Be- <laughs> right. That's because all the sexual drama has been relieved in the last chapter. He spent all his time right. working on the chapter of Golden Day, and then when Wild Surmises along, he's basically just moving the plot along. Yeah, and Gala kind of is kicking themselves like, man, here we are, these two fucking idiots fooling around without any clothes on instead of just doing our jobs. What a bunch of jerks we are. Yeah, so they get dressed and they, they sharpen themselves up and then they decide that they're going to walk along the beach until they get to Granville, a little town up the beach, and they'll eat a meal there and then they'll head back to see uh, what kind of reception they receive back. I do. Yeah, but Bond does get a little defensive. Uh, so Gala kind of mentions that. She's like, you know, 
we shouldn't have been getting naked and fooling around. We should have been taking ourselves seriously. And he's like, what? You think, how were we supposed to spend the afternoon? Taking everyone's fingerprints all over again? That's all you police think about. It's like, dude, take it easy. She nearly died. Yeah. <laughs> like, why you get so defensive, bro? Relax. Well, again, because he saw her naked, but not because he earned it. Instead of going back to the complex, they decided to go into, like, the neighboring town to go get some food and drink. Because, as we know, the best way to heal a near-death experience is through food and alcohol. I have definitely played a lot of video games in which when your health bars get low, you go you eat. eat something and you get more health bars. Yeah, and that's as old as The Adventures of Link. Yeah, know? so I'm just saying it's pretty much spot on. I Fleming tricked me here, though. So as I was reading it, the... It starts with at half past, like they say they're going to go to town to get some food. Mm-hmm. And then Fleming says at half past eight, the taxi from St. Margaret's dropped them off at the second guard gate. And I was like, holy crap, he skipped dinner. Like yeah, when is Fleming yeah. ever? And then, of course, like three sentences later, he talks about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they had two stiff brandies and sodas for Gal. Oh, Gala had two stiff brandies and sodas and three for Bond because, of course, he has to one up his female all the time. Mm-hmm. Followed by delicious fried soles. And Welsh rarebits and coffee. Are Welsh rarebits like, is like chicken liver and stuff? It is not. My understanding of a Welsh rarebit is it is like a beer cheese. Ah. It's um, like it's like a cheese, a melted cheese sauce served on toast. I just assumed it was like animal unmentionables put into like I a know, sausage or something. It's a very strange name. Yeah. Um, I've I've taken a crack at it in my past. Is it? They really Bond really goes for the fish in this book, man. He's all about the smoked salmon earlier, and he's doing fried soles here again. England's a really a fish loving nation. I mean, they well, they fed their island. country on fish yeah. because most of the po- there's probably like ninety percent of the population lives within an hour of the ocean. No, Bang. I just made that statistic up. Don't believe that. But they like fish there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure 130 percent of the people who live there are half certain that they. <laughs> Uh, they descend from mermaids. That's right. Uh, that's five percent accurate. Yeah. There's always. And so a I mean, but here's the best part is so you know they want to see what kind of reaction they get, and so they go into the mansion where Drax is eating dinner with his chief scientist, Doctor Walter, and our buddy Krebs, creepy little Krebs. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just kind of walk into the dining room. Drax sat at the head of the table, festive in his plum-colored smoking jacket. A forkful of food, halfway to his open mouth, had stopped in midair as they appeared in the doorway. Unnoticed, the food slid off the fork and fell with a soft, distinct plep onto the edge of the table. Yeah, it's such a, it's such <laughs> a cartoonish Krebs, scene, right? He'd been in the act of drinking a glass of red wine, and the glass, frozen against his mouth, poured a thin trickle down his chin and thence onto his brown satin tie and yellow shirt. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, they like freeze in mid-sentence, and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. I was hoping for a spit take, but we don't always get what we want. Yeah, and basically, Walter has his back to the door, but he sees these two guys just like pour wine on their shirt and drop food on the table, and he turns around and just says, oh, it's Die Englander. And then they're all like, hey, Bond? Buddy, so we weren't to just see getting you. worried. We definitely thought you might show up for dinner and just were wondering where you might have been. 
And Bond's like, yeah, I know. I'll join. I could. It looks like I missed dinner, but I'll join you for dessert. Yeah. And then he tells Galibrand to go to bed. And then he's like, baby, why don't you go up to bed? I'll take care of these guys. Pat, pat. And Drax is like, I'll, yeah, yeah, you go to bed. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Oh. And Bond's like, those so really that, are some remarkable cliffs, aren't they? What you need to explain to me is I literally do not understand this at all. So Bond sits down with Krebs and Drax and Dr. Walter. And then Krebs, like, passes out and falls, like, flat into his plate and, like, breaks the dish. And he Bond's does. just like, what's up, buddy? Like, I literally do not understand why this I, dude passes out. The only thing I could gather was, like, he was just so much in shock that he... he blacks out he just passes out yeah and so then drax makes excuses for him drinking too much right and... he's like oh, this guy can't hold his liquor i i should go back a little bit on bond fashion here i'm not saying we should bring much i i understand that there are like classist reasons why we don't do this anymore but the idea of putting on like a nice little dinner jacket just to go eat your meal i i man it's a tradition we should bring back to be able to don a purple colored dinner jacket mm-hmm. smoking jacket just to say just to sit I'm at better table. than you to just, the servants yeah. i mean how nice would your dinners be if you had to like get dressed up for them Ian? you don't you can absolutely can do that just i'm not doing that put dinner on the table go get your jacket and put it on and then go back down to the table <laughs> remind me anyway he's like well yeah those cliffs are great walking around there it's kind of like russian roulette and yet None one, no one ever expects to be killed by the cliffs. Isn't that odd? Drax is kind of annoyed to have to have dessert with Bond, so he excuses himself. And then Bond goes to bed. And Bond goes to bed. He sees that his room was searched yet again, but this time he doesn't really give a shit. He's like, whatever. I knew it was going to happen. He takes a hot bath, puts some iodine on his cuts, and then is thinking about it. And he's like, you know, the table was only set for three people. They were never expecting him to come back. Hmm. Yeah. I, I just want to point out, like, yeah, you're right, Bond, but your logic is a bit flawed. One, you got back well after dinner started, so they could have put out your plates, and they were like, oh, I guess Bond and Galar aren't showing up. Take away these plates, please. So it's a little... Those rude dudes aren't coming to dinner. It's pretty explainable, and I felt like Fleming could have done, Fleming could have done better to uh, end part two... Wednesday. I mean, it's a clue. Like all his clues, there's wild conjecture. I mean, the chapter's called Wild Surmises. Like, it's all conjecture. He's, like, trying to figure oh, things yeah. out, but there's nothing, like, definitive. I didn't put that together. Yeah. So, it's just another one of his wild surmises. But, yeah, that concludes midweek. So, again, we've gone from Monday to Wednesday now. All this has happened in the span of three days. Mm -hmm. And part three, which are going to be Thursday and Friday and conclude this business week. Chapter 18. Beneath the Flat Stone. The next morning, everyone departs for London. Drax taking Gala and Krebs in his Mercedes and Bond taking his Bentley. The two men compare cars, and while Bond knows his older machine could keep pace with Drax's Mercedes, Drax smugly dismisses it as being from another time. Gala and Bond had made plans earlier to meet for dinner. Now, as she watches Bond pull away, she makes plans of her own. 
There is something worth knowing in that little black book that Drax always keeps with him. He's continuing to rework her calculations for the rocket launch, despite telling her that hers were dead on accurate. Why? Now that someone had tried to kill her, she was willing to put her covert skills to the test. She sets herself up for the steal and awaits for one of the many opportunities Drax creates through his erratic, aggressive driving to bump into him and take the book. Now, to look at it, she must create a diversion. What's better than to plan a stereotype? Sir Hugo, I've got to, um, <clears throat> powder my nose? Something, just something awful. Drax curses her, but he stops nonetheless. And in the bathroom of a hotel, she discovers that each day, Drax has made his own set of calculations secretly that would land the rocket 90 degrees from the target in the North Sea. She realizes something is terribly wrong, and she must tell her bosses. But first, she must make it back to London undiscovered. She gets back in the car with Drax and Krebs, and they take off again. And as she tries to replace the book in Drax's pocket, Krebs' hand shoots out and grabs her. Please stop the car, mein Captain, says Krebs. Mrs. Brand is a spy. Gala wakes in a room full of machinery. As she awakes, she realizes that 90 degrees from the target in the North Sea is London. Drax is aiming the rocket for London. And with the ferocity of Drax's slap to her face, she realizes that this rocket will have a real warhead. They have their dinner, they go to bed, they wake up, and I suspect Bond is a little bit early. He's outside and he's he's remarking on the beautiful Mercedes that that Drax owns here. So we got a Type 300S Mercedes, the sports model, with a disappearing hood. Only one and a half dozen in England, Bond uh, reflects. Uh, and it's driven on the left-hand side, which has to, like, piss Bond off. He doesn't actually say mm -hmm. it, but you know that annoys the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Stupid American style. <laughs> Idiots. And it's kind of cool. I, I'm guessing, you know, this being, what, 54, 55, that the book is actually taking place. Uh, maybe Mercedes weren't really exported all too much, so... Well, that's the thing I think you see here. It's a little window, like pre-globalism. Mm -hmm. um, we have the Mercedes in Germany, from Germany, that was a German car. And it was like the national car of Germany. And, you know, Americans drove American cars. And Europeans drove their, you know, the French drove their Peugeot. And the English Citroen. drove their Bentley. And, yeah, right? Like, everyone had their, their own product. Every, everything wasn't everywhere. This Mercedes is like super German, kind of jarringly un-British. Very much so, yeah. You know, Bond comments the body's too short and heavy to be graceful. Um, it's garish for England. Oh, God, not our taste at all. But Bond is so worldly, he notes that he's seen one of these before on the Munich Autobahn when he was driving his Bentley around 90 and one of them blew past him. And he kind of has like a love-hate relationship with this car. <laughs> Yeah, well, he's mad because it's not, you know, it's better than his car. Right. His 20-year-old Bentley. It's... And he notes how he kind of goes through the history of Mercedes. You know, very much one of these sections where, where Fleming is, is flexing a little bit of his uh, 
his own personal interests, I suspect. But noting how his knowledge of luxury cars and and well and European auto racing, I bet the average person doesn't know what the hell the Le Mans is, but it's a basically a twenty four hour race in France that happens every year. It still happens in the racing world, like the ultimate test of uh, the, the automaker's ability to create a a perfect racing car. And usually the winner of the race ends up becoming a model. So Mercedes, I guess, must have had a pretty good run uh, in the early 50s here. And he notes like how his sad Bentley used to be good in the 30s. This was... Yeah. Which is to say, and all this is to say, uh, foreshadowing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't talk this much about a car unless you plan on using that car. So he does set up a lot of... Um, detail about how this car drives and what it's capable of so that as we continue into this chapter and the next we can really start to use these cars and understand their their machinations shortly after bond finishes his reminiscence on racing he's like basically not paying attention at all he's just standing there in his own thoughts you know krebs and drax and gala come out and the perspective shifts over to gala's perspective for the rest of the chapter yeah and we do learn just a quick little like sidebar into Bond's past life that he dabbled on the fringe of the racing world. And of course, Drax comes out and has to say, I imagine of all the things villains say to Bond, this has got to rub him the worst. Where Bond, Drax comes out, sees his Bentley, goes, fast car. They used to be good in the old days <laughs> with a touch of patronage. <laughs> Yeah, because, well, and he's right, though. And Bond already said that he was right. <laughs> like, Bond's did, already, like, found his Bentley wanting against this um, garish and powerful Mercedes. But to hear from this red-faced, red-handed... Sure, because you can make fun of your own kids, but, like, don't, exactly. you know, no one else can. Exactly. <laughs> so that's got to that's gotta hurt Bond. But anyway, everyone's dressed quite nicely because they're about to take a trip here to London. Gal is wearing her dark gray tailor made with a black beret and a lightweight black raincoat and gloves. I love how they describe the way the Mercedes closes. The wide doors close with a rich double click of a Fabergé box. It's the sound of wealth, Chris. Exactly. If you kind don't know what the exactly sound of a Fabergé box is, then you just aren't up to society. Yeah, so then, you know, they get in the car and Bond sets off to follow them, but he quickly disappears. He's not really following Drax at all on this drive back right. to London. He's just off his own thing, and Gala is unsettled by the previous day's events and decides that she needs to get to the bottom of what's going on here. There's something strange happening. It turns out she did some research after after everyone went to bed, and even though James Bond was very certain, there aren't gas pockets in the cliffs of Dover that routinely explode. Um, that could only be caused by a person trying to kill her. So she wants to figure out what's going on, and she starts to feel a little saucy as she, Drax, and Krebs drive down towards London. In Drax's pocket, he keeps his little black book with the flight plan, and she kind of zeroes in on this as like not only something she can do, but, like, she wants answers. She wants to know if her flight plans... And really, it's more like self-validation, right? She wants to know if the flight plans she's been devising are the ones that he's putting into his book. She's not even thinking anything nefarious at this point. No, and, but, you know, he's <clears throat> always recording, and he always keeps that book with him. He's very secretive about it. What what secrets are in there? Why can't she look at the book? I want to look at the book. 
Mm -hmm. um, that is to know at this point, so sh this is where we get in a little spycraft. We're getting a little bit into the, the realm of pickpocketing, as she's been trained to do. Fleming's setting up this pickpocket by positioning Gala in the car. She's stretching out and, like, moving herself around, getting ready to, like, sneak that book out of his pocket at the opportune moment. And he's setting up Drax's driving, which is, like, the most aggressive... Yeah. I mean, dare I say, dickish driving that one could uh, one could expect from anybody. I mean, he's like basically like he sees like a family like all driving together in their car and they're like going the speed limit and like talking and laughing and he's like on their tail like waiting for like a moment to like pass them and like hang them a Louis. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and anyone honk at them. Honk, he honks at everybody. Yeah, out of spite. He's a spite honker. He was a brilliant driver but a vindictive and an impatient one who was always anxious for any car that held him up to be given something to remember. I'm not saying it is Bond, but it kind of sounds like Bond. You know he gets pretty sauced when people aren't driving as brilliantly as he is on the road. No, but he... Bond's more detached in his driving, and, he, you know, he would see that same, like, family sedan out on a, on a day trip, like, enjoying each other's company as an obstacle. Um, to be whipped around and, you know, quickly dealt with, you know, as he drives recklessly mm -hmm. fast, but not spitefully, right? He'll get around them and he'll move on with his day and he'll forget about them immediately because they don't matter. Drax takes it personally that anyone is in his way. And so it's not enough for him to, to like, whip past them. He has to blast his horn and then, like... As he accelerates brutally and gets by, he shakes his head angrily at the driver. <laughs> He's angry at these people for existing. And that, I think, is the distinction. Gala decides no matter what, she's going to get her hands on that book. She starts to like scoot over a little bit in her seat. Uh, she notes how on these strong turns, she'll naturally sway with the car. So she waits for a good opportunity where there's a strong turn. She kind of... Go an ahead. opportunity where Drax is being a complete psycho. Right. And he's, like, blasting past this, like, family sedan and, like, screaming at them, like, you know, drop dead and die! <laughs> Stop having kids! <laughs> drive, uh, you fucking asshole! <laughs> you know, and she uses that opportunity to, to reach into his pocket right. and grab his so, little black notebook. To lunge her fingers. body over and, yeah. And, and pull out the little black book and then hide it under her raincoat here. And then, of yeah. course, she's like, all right, I got to fake like I need to go to the bathroom here. So she uses her she uses the her femininity to exactly. her advantage. And she's like, I got to, oh, but Drex, I got to pee a little bit. I'm so he's terribly like, what? Uh, uh, Oh, God, women, of course you do. Yeah, I'm so terribly <laughs> sorry, Hugo, but could you possibly stop for a moment? I mean, I'm so terribly sorry. I'd like to powder my nose. It's terribly stupid of me. I'm so sorry. Three times she says she's yeah, sorry. Then, Christ, said Drax. Why the hell didn't you? Oh, yes. Well, all right. Find a place. And then he then he grumbles on into his mustache. Yeah. This <gasps> And she's like, There's a hotel around the corner. Thank you so much. Oh, it was so stupid of me. I won't be a moment. Oh, here it is. And she totally uses that to her advantage, but I Exactly. The wind is too much for my makeup. It's too much. And he's like, Hurry up, hurry up. We, we gotta get out of here. Which but he's you know, got she... nowhere to really be. <laughs> she does after after sneaking into this hotel and reviewing the the figures 
she does like look at her face and say, oh my God, I'm ghastly pale. And she like pinches her cheeks and yeah. like does, quote, you know, powder her nose. She does attend to her makeup before she goes back well, out. Of course you have to. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, she gets to the book. She goes into a, a bathroom, locks the bathroom. She looks nice. at these flight plans and realizes they are very different than hers. Well, she thinks she's wrong. She's full of self-doubt. Right. And she's wrong by like a 90 degree angle. She's like, wait a minute. If these are the true figures, then my figures would be landing us somewhere in France or... Right. So rather than assuming she was right and these are wrong, she assumes these are right and she was wrong. And she's like, oh my God, have I been telling them to send this missile to France the whole time? She's like, well, I have to tell somebody that this is this is super weird that he didn't tell me there's something wrong with my figures. But, you know, I'm an idiot, but maybe I'm an idiot, but maybe he's not. So she rips out a page to hide. Mm-hmm. Um, classic spy calf. She like as cleanly as she can with her nail files, a straight mm-hmm. edge. She like she's pretty good page and like rolls it up and puts it in her little like gloves because she's, you know, women were still fashionably wearing gloves. At the oh, time. Yeah. She was now, at the hotel. At this she moment, called. she's in a hotel. Yeah. She could have gone up to the front desk of the hotel and said, you know, can I borrow your phone? I, I need to place a, a phone call to MI5. And she mm. could have called Valance and been like, hey, buddy, um, take down these numbers. This is what I found in Drax's secret notebook. Uh, it seems pretty shady to me. In fact, maybe I won't even get back in the car. I'm just going to I'm just going to ghost him. She could have. Yeah. But I'd say it's not to talk about sexism of the day she's worried that even though she's a trained you know police officer people are just going to call her a fool and a meddler so she's aware of like the social stigma i was sent there to meddle that's my job (laughs) yes i am a meddler like anyway she gets back in the car enjoys those two clicks of a fabergé box in order to get the book back in his pocket she basically has to create Uh, some sort of sensation elsewhere on him, right? So that's why she waits for a turn or some way to bump into him um, so that he's noticing that and not the fact that she's reaching into his pocket. Mm -hmm. Which is easy with Drax driving because he's such a complete psycho that anyone who's obeying the speed limit is going to be cause for him to drive aggressively and scream at them and whip the car around. But the one thing she didn't think about was creepy Krebs in the back seat. And so yeah, there's just like weasel dude in the back seat. Like, why would she not think that he's weaseling around? He's pretty weaselly. So Krebs is in the back seat as she goes to slip the book back into his pocket. Bam! His hand reaches out, grabs her by the wrist. That's right. pretty much and it. Gala realizes like her changes. fate is sealed. Yeah. They start speaking in German. Um, right away. Yeah. Right away, and she's called a spy. Gives Krebs a little of his attention, and then he sums up her fate in one word. He looks her over, sees that she's got his book, and just says, So, the word was deadly cold, and with a shivering finality. Mm-hmm. Takes off one of his driving gloves and whips her across the face while driving mm-hmm. the car. Puts the glove back on. She did try to explain her way out of it, saying like, oh, it was just a mistake. and um, But he's not buying that shit. No, of course not. This part gets a little weird. They basically, he choke Krebs chokes her out and then they like drive off road um, into like the woods. And instead of murdering her, this choked out woman, they hit her over the head to knock her even further unconscious. Yep. They bring her into London with them, which is, I think is super weird. Like if you're it like, this woman's a spy, wouldn't you just like, Krebs is probably super comfortable choking people to death. Why wouldn't he just choke her to death and then just leave her body in the woods? <laughs> 
love how you casually said that. I mean, he seems like the type, right? Like that seems like probably his preferred way of murdering people. He does. He's and like a, if he's you like had, a poisoner. If you had no intention of like having Gala communicate back with anybody at any point, why didn't you just kill her there, drop her on the side of the road? Big pothole right there. Drag her into London with her and they make up some silly excuse like as they like bring her into like their secret hideout. And of course you need the cliche scene. So as she's starting to come to, she's in this weird room. There's like hanging light bulbs. I imagine they don't say it in the book, but there's got to be like a drip going on in the back room, right? From a leaky faucet. Uh, there's all this like she can't surmise if it's radio equipment or what the fuck it is, but there's all yeah, this machinery, like machinery, 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 machinery all around. Drax is like on the machinery playing with the dials. Ed Krebs is just in German, like cursing at this little generator, like trying to get, <laughs> trying to get I it know, going. Right? Like it's a very music scene, I think. Like, the grid was clearly underdeveloped at the time. Um, but then she figures it out. It yeah, she cracks the case the as she's, like, in her hazy, knocked-out mind. <laughs> realizes that that 90-degree turn from the North Sea would, if her calculations were correct, then turning it 90 degrees would mean that Drax's calculations placed the missile falling directly in mm-hmm. the center of London. And it all comes together pretty quickly. So she realizes all these instruments are the radar homing device that will tell the missile basically where to go. What I I like, though, is that she realizes that, of course, that they have a real bomb. And the way she knows that is because of how hard Drax hit her when he found out she was a spy. (laughs) That was the most telling slap. Never one to let down. I love the way filming closes chapters. So she's figuring out like, oh, this is how they're going to kill me. They're going to have me Isn't sitting. That, that's a right great here. way to... I mean, that's the stereotype of, like, the easily escaped elaborate death. Right. You know, from Austin Powers. Mm-hmm. But... I'm going to be sitting here, and I'm going to watch this warhead crash to the ceiling, and then it says, but the scream was only in her mind, and Gala, her body a twisted black potato crisp among the million others, had already fainted. Right. Before, it was too much, and she finally does faint for real. Mm-hmm. Eggs and Espionage is mixed, edited, and nefariously produced by Flashback Productions. Music in this episode is by Spite Honker. Thank you for joining us in Season 3 as we explore Ian Fleming's Moonraker, the third book in his James Bond series. In the next episode, Bond finds he'll be having dinner for one and that, once again, everything depends on him and his abilities. He concludes that evening by pursuing Drax in a deadly high-speed chase. All coming up on Eggs and Espionage. Origins of James Bond. Thank you for eating directly in your microphone. (laughs) You're welcome. Ian likes to leave no mysteries when he's eating. (laughs) I'm going to refresh my drink and my bladder.